Thank you for joining us for the Local Church Podcast. At Local Church, we value each person's unique experience with faith and hope this message impacts you today. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the preaching section of church today, The Word. And we are excited to be preaching to you today. A three-week series, the first in three installments of a series that we are calling Compelling Christianity. I want to preach to you two sermons in the series and to close it out, the one and only making his debut preaching uh, experience delivery moment, maiden voyage here in the church preaching is Tyler Fitch, who if you're from Ottawa, he's a Mississauga boy. Well, he's like not from Mississauga, but he's been all over that. He's from all over the map, Niagara, Mississauga, went to Bible school in Portland, married to the beautiful Jane, the Fitches, as they are affectionately known was a youth pastor for four years in Mississauga, felt called to come and join our church. So if you're from Ottawa, you know Tyler. Few people from Toronto know Tyler, but if you're like Kingston Crew, Toronto, or if you're viewing from New Zealand today, you don't know Tyler, in three weeks he's gonna be preaching. You're gonna love him, he's the best. But we're gonna talk today about compelling Christianity. And if you have a Bible, Matthew 22, uh, verse one through like 14. So. Let's do this. This is called the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus spoke again to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calf, that they have butchered and everything is ready. Come, to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, one to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent out his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go now to the street corners and invite anyone you find. So the servants went out to the streets and gathered anyone that they could find, all the people, the good as well as the bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there that was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Father, speak to us today as we come around your word, as we, as we read the Bible. We understand that it's a book that you wrote to help us understand you and understand this life. We pray that there will be revelation from it. Speak to us today, we ask in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Yeah, the, the story here opens uh, with one of, the, one of these great and often overlooked lines in the Bible. It opens by saying, Jesus spoke to them again in parables. The operative word there, I think, is again. In other words, Jesus would often speak in parables, stories, um, these little kind of anecdotes that he would use to try and illustrate a greater, a greater work or a greater theme that was at play. And in this particular scenario, this would give us a moment's pause because he says, the kingdom of heaven is like the kingdom of heaven. The king's domain, God's domain, the kingdom of heaven, what God rules over, um, the transcendent supernatural nature of God's 
domain um, is like a wedding banquet, he would go on to say. He's trying to give us some nuances and some understanding, some broad definitions, some pictures about what God's kingdom is like. From Matthew 5 until he's crucified, Jesus is talking all the time. Not like all the time isn't like Jesus talking all the time. It's more like Jesus is talking literally all the time. I mean, if you have a Bible, grab it up because there's red letter from Matthew 5 through the end of Matthew everywhere. I mean, he's talking Sermon on the Mount, uh, seven woes of the Pharisees. He's talking about, you know, giving us the lowdown on giving, giving us the lowdown on divorce. Like he is just talking, chatting, trying to just describe what it is that we are a part of, the kingdom that he came to bring into our lives. But think about this, like, if you got someone, you know you have those, um, those videos where someone's like, I died and went to heaven, and then, I, and, I came, and then I came back, I was just there for a minute, it was amazing, it was bright lights, you know, and you're like, that's crazy, you know, super cool. Um, Jesus was the, the, the Prince of Peace, like, his home is heaven. So he's coming, God is condescending to earth, embodying a human, putting on flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood, Eugene Peterson says, so that we can um, get a better understanding about what heaven is like. So the best understanding that we can get of heaven is from Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, the, the, the God that created creation, that he came for the purpose of saving us, but also teaching us by his example and by his words. And in this situation, by his stories. And this one is a particularly good one, one of my favorites that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. I've never been to Westminster Abbey, but Westminster Abbey is like old, like over a thousand years old. To think about the prayers that have been prayed, the conversations that have been had. But one of the things about the Westminster Abbey is that um, all of the royal weddings are there. And so too in, in sort of like recent memory, um, the, the two princes marrying their princesses. I think for both, or maybe at least for one of those weddings, there were a billion television viewers. A billion. I mean, we just love weddings. We love royal weddings. We love romance and people getting together. And this is a story about a king who's setting up a wedding banquet for his son. A king for the prince. So let's take a minute just to give ourselves, I guess, a contextual and, 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 and a historical exegesis. An exegesis is to exegete. To exegete is to draw out like water from a well. So let us just draw out like water from a well what we can take from this passage in context of what's happening at the time and historically what it means. Well, what are we talking about here? Was it king? Was it a Jewish wedding? Was it who he's talking to? Like who wrote it? Who's the author? What was, what was the intent of the author? Like to to coin a phrase that I think is, 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 is really good for us in the art of, of biblical hermeneutics, to, to read and, and ascertain and interpret the scriptures. What's authorial intent? What's actually, what's actually happening in this passage? So let's, let's dive in. So we've got here a few things that I'd like to just cover off early before we get into some more detail in a little bit and stick with me today. The first one is that Matthew, uh, the author of the book of Matthew, is one of the writers of the four gospels and his, as an eyewitness of Jesus, his kind of role, and you can see it through his writing, was to write to Jewish Christians. 
That's what he was attempting to do. That was his audience. That who, that's who he had in mind in his writings. People who are Jewish, who have been, uh, I guess, converted to Christianity or have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, they've become now Christians, but with Jewish uh, context and Jewish history, and Jew- Jewish lineage. Um, we've got, so we've got that. That's who Matthew's writing. That's who he's talking to. We've, we've also got here an understanding that we're trying to look at um, a picture of a wedding banquet, which is a Jewish wedding. So, so from the lens of, I've never been to a Jewish wedding, so I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? I'm doing some research to try and to get a better, a better exegesis and draw out what, what's actually being said here in the passage, because Jesus is talking, I want to listen. Jewish wedding, massive cultural occasion. Many, many, um, I mean, there's also a smashing of things and jumping of things and lifting up and, you know, the, the bride and groom being carried by guests. And there's all these things at, at play here. It was a joyous celebration, clear historical traditions. We've got um, the wedding, though, is not just of a, a regular Jew or a regular sort of regular person. It's the king's son. It's a prince. Therefore, it's a royal wedding. Needless to say that of all the things that were happening that day, with all the prep and all the food and everything like that, that the invitation list was hugely important. I'm married. Nigel and I have been married for coming up 16 years. When we got married, we didn't have a, a lot of money, so our invitation list was dictated by the resources we had at hand. I get the feeling like this king um, is not short of a dime, and so the list of, of the invitation list has not been restricted by money, resources, time. He's like, just my son's getting married. Let's make this an absolutely just a, a brilliant occasion. We would have had in the wedding 100 guests, uh, the wedding 250 guests at the reception, which is the banquet, maybe 100 guests, dictated to a game by money. But if money wasn't an issue, oh, you would just invite everybody. I mean, why wouldn't you? Jesus here is using this illustration to illuminate what heaven is like. Like he's telling us what God's kingdom, God's domain, what God rules over, the kingdom of heaven is like based on a wedding and a wedding banquet with food and oxen, fat and calf, an invitation list and guests. Let's keep reading. Let's look at this passage and see who, who's in the passage. Who are the characters at work here? We've got one king, great, one son, a number of servants and many guests. That's what, we can, that's what we can read and ascertain when we read the verse. The king represents God the Father and the son represents Jesus. The servants represent us and the guests are those who don't know the father but have been invited through one way or another to dine with him in a wedding banquet to celebrate his son. This is powerful. What then can we observe about the father? We can observe that the father has put a lot of work into the wedding planning. We can observe that he's actually just like, it's urgent to him. He's celebrating his son. He's keen for the banquet to be full. He wants it to be a great occasion. He's prepared the best food. He's ready. He's urgent. And it gets to the point where we realize that the king even becomes desperate to make sure that the occasion itself is great. Well, what can we ascertain or observe about the son? we can observe about the son is that he's the one that's being celebrated. So we've got all of these, all these observations we can make about the father celebrating the son, but the only observation, observation we really can make about the son is that he is just the one that's being celebrated. What can we observe then about the servants? Well, the servants are busy. 
Um, the servants are urgent. They're as urgent as the father. They take their lead from him. Uh, at one point, they're in harm's way, and they are gatherers of people, gatherers of the guests. What can we observe then about the guests? Well, we can observe that the guests are valued by the king. Not only um, um, uh, are they valued, but he wants them to be at the wedding, at the banquet, but not every guest wants to come. And we can observe that at the end of the story, the wedding hall was filled with them, filled with guests. Interesting. We can ascertain the most significant information here about the father and about the servants, even less information we can gather about the guests, and the least information that we can gather is actually about the son. That the kingdom of heaven is like, in the few minutes that we've been speaking today, it's been less than 10 minutes so far, I guess we can gather these things from the allegory, the story, the metaphor, the parable that Jesus is teaching. That the kingdom of heaven is like a father who celebrates his son. God who celebrates Jesus. God that who wants heaven to be full, represented by the wedding banquet. A bunch of servants who work hard to get people to the wedding. In celebrating his son, the father's heart is for his guests and he wants his wedding to be full. It is in this passage that we see the heart of the father for his son, but also the heart of the father for his people. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. 2 Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Amen but for everyone to come to repentance. Through the scriptures, we see that God is compelling us to carry his message. God is giving us a compelling Christianity, not a boring Christianity, not a passive Christianity, not an apathetic Christianity, but a compelling one. One where as we read the scriptures, we read about a God that is going about a great amount of work to try and facilitate the reconciliation of his people, to himself through his son, that we would be representatives in the world. Second Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God as though he was making his appeal through us. That's scary. Because the kingdom of heaven is like, and Jesus goes on to tell us how amazing it will be, but God is using us to make his appeal to his guests and to the people that populate this planet. Let's pause for a minute. In this fast-paced world, let's let that simmer. Let's take a moment. His appeal to the world is through you. His appeal to the world is through me. It's through we. There's a movie called The Big Short. Great film. And uh, there's this moment where Ryan Gosling, who just nails his character in that film, and it, 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 he's talking to a bunch of guys, and um, Steve Carell's one of them, and he goes, 
You smell that? What is that? And he looks across at his, like his offside of this guy, this guy that's with him, his wingman. And, and the friend looks at him and he goes, opportunity. <laughs> and I think, I love that scene. And I think for us today, you know what I smell? Responsibility. Are you catching this? That God's heart and his desire is for people to be reconciled to him through Jesus, but he's making his appeal through us. Man, I'm, as I read this, I'm like, I need to make sure I do a good job. Like I need to be compelling and joyous and kind if I'm going to represent God to the world. What a huge responsibility and opportunity. The parable gives us a picture, I think, of the urgency of the Father and his guests. And it gives us a picture of our responsibility in that process as servants of God. I talked last week uh, in church in the physical campus, but I didn't talk about it here online in our online campus about Kevin Durant, who's a basketball player, just signed a, oh man, a multi-gazillion dollar check with the Brooklyn Nets and with Nike. And he's just, you know, he, he's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game of basketball, two-time champ, two-time gold medalist. And uh, he, said, he said this uh, some years back when he was playing for Oklahoma. He said, I go to chapel before every game. When I first got into the league, a former teammate of mine whose name is Kevin Ollie got everyone on the team going to chapel. I was just one of the guys trying to follow his lead. He was a good leader in helping me do that, making me feel more comfortable in my faith around other people, being able to pray for one another and pray out loud. Now I like to lead more and more. My current teammates at OKC do a great job of sticking together and always praying for each other. Kevin Durant has had a huge impact in the world, largely due to the actions of one man, a servant bringing a guest to the Father. That Kevin, Ollie, Kevin Ollie's name will go down in history, maybe even as a greater servant of Christ than Kevin Durant. And, and, and a Kevin Durant's story is still being written. My point is this, is that Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant partly due to the fact that there is a servant of God compelling a guest to come to the Father. And there are, there are people who are, have a faith today because of mums and grandmothers and fathers and brothers and siblings and neighbours all of us are servants compelling people through our Christian faith to come to the Father, that they have an invitation to the wedding banquet. Let's look then at each of the characters of this parable and ask ourselves, what can we learn about ourselves? Or maybe even more so, what can we learn about God? The first one is this. This is what I noticed of the four main characters or the main groups of characters, that the Father is the one who expresses his desire. The Father expresses his desire. The Bible is a book written to us, to, to coin the phrase of a friend of mine, that for God to self-identify himself, to self-identify, for him to tell us who he is. We want to learn about ourselves. I learn a lot about myself. In fact, the Bible calls itself a mirror that, is, that I look in it, I see myself, and I see how, how far I've got to go, but how far I've come. Amen. We'll learn about ourselves, but primarily, it's a story about God. One author writes, that Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is God's clearest description of himself, where it says this. This is God speaking, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. The compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to the thousands. This is a pretty cool 
picture that God gives us of himself. That he's saying to us, hey guys, let me just self-identify. This is the book of Exodus. Let me tell you who I am. Uh, I am compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. I love long walks on the beach and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. This is God telling us who he is. This is what the Bible is. And the father is expressing his desire through this parable. Andy Stanley says, says that Jesus is the clearest picture of God. That Jesus, the embodiment of the Father, teaching us through stories and parables what heaven is like, what God is like. Um, I, I got in trouble like some years back. I can't remember when, but I got in trouble from Nadia, which is, which is not uncommon. I say things that get, I get in trouble. My mouth gets me in trouble all the time. I say things and I'm like, oh, you know, it's, it's just yeah, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm working on it. Now, I called Nadia a dodecahedron. Now, you've got to understand that when you hear me say that, you're like, what? Why would you call your wife your beautiful, stunning, capable, and able, and brilliant, creative, discerning, intuitive, and hilarious wife? Why would you call her a dodecahedron? Well, my point was because of all of those things. A dodecahedron is like a 24-sided shape. And I was like, Nadia is just like, she's just got so many facets and perspectives and she's so amazing. And there's not one thing that you could say that could define Nadia. If you've met Nadia, you can start to agree with me. Maybe not on the dodecahedron side, but maybe on the way that I'm now trying to just, you know, get out of the hole that I'm putting myself in. There's no, there's no, she's not simple. Wow, but she's simple in, in, in a beautiful way. She's not simple. She's not like one dimensional. There's so many different facets. And I got in trouble for using a shape as an adjective. Uh, I get it. Uh, I meant good, but it came off bad. You ever tried that? You ever go to say something good, you're like, oh, that came off bad. But isn't it true of God, though? Like if Nadi is not a dodecahedron, surely God is. Come on now. I'm preaching better than you're responding. When we write an autobiography about ourselves, I want to write a picture book. Levi is a guy, and he loves his family and loves Jesus, and he loves running. End of story. <laughs> My story. God's story about himself, like it's, it's, I mean, it's the most illegal book in the history of mankind. It's the most published book. Uh, it's, it's every year the New York Times bestseller. In, in fact, it's never included on the list. New York Times bestseller, asterisk. The Bible's never included because it's always number one. It's the most translated book. It's the most stolen book. Friend, this is the, the most scrutinized, most widely read and revered book. It's the most famous book. And it's a book about God telling us about himself. And what can we take from this one little passage in this one little book in this one little moment where Jesus is speaking to a group of people about what the kingdom of heaven is like, we can understand this, that the Father is expressing his desire to have the wedding banquet full of guests. This today is my point, that Jesus is using storytelling to paint for us a picture of the Father. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two. There are large periods of my life when I didn't have a father. And when I did, it was disappointing. And he's great, but he did a bad job in portions of my life. And that's fine. I've forgiven him. I love my dad. He is a good man. But it warped my perception of fatherhood and of God because of my experience. Maybe I'm saying this and your experience has been the same, that your dad maybe was absent and discouraging and angry and whatever he was and a perfectionist and who knows. But those things can warp our perception. So then Jesus tells these stories to help realign our picture of God as a father through these stories. 
gives us a picture of the Father, of heaven, of his domain, of how things are done. And his picture here is of a father who expresses his desire to the son, to the servants, and to the guests. You get the feeling like God wants a celebration. I get, the, I get the feeling like when I read this passage, and again, God is a dodecahedron. There's one facet of all the different parts that God would use the Bible and Jesus to teach us about himself, that Jesus is trying to teach us about himself, that he wants it, but in this, in this parable, to be a fun, joyous, celebratory occasion. Jesus was called a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. It sounds to me like Jesus loved to have a good time. I'm not saying he was a drunkard. I'm not saying he was a glutton. He clearly was a friend of sinners. But he's labeled those things because I bet they saw him having a great time and were like, ah, he's been eating and drinking far too much. Maybe he wasn't. I'm not here to debate whether he was or wasn't. I'm not here to debate whether he liked Subway, Wolf Down, you know, or like just burgers, you know, tacos. I just got hungry. I'm going to move on. But the parable reinforces here this image of God who is keen to gather people, celebrate Jesus, have fun, and is full of joy. The father expressing his desire. Let me move on to talk about the son. If the father's expressing his desire, then we can read here that the son is being celebrated. The son is being celebrated. If the father's desire is being expressed through this parable for his guests, then the son in this picture, what can we observe? That the son is the one being celebrated. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of people that think that, um, well, I mean, when I say a lot of people, there are people, who knows how many there are, that think that Jesus isn't God. Or they think that Jesus is subservient to Father God, that it's like this. It's really cool, because I think that it's like a first amongst equals. Like the Father is the Father, and he sent the Son, and he sent the Holy Spirit, but there are three manifestations or three persons, one God triune being. I mean, good luck trying to figure that out from what I just said to you, if you're grappling with what that means. Let's move on. But, but the point is this, is that the Father is celebrating the Son, that the Son is the one that in this parable is being elevated by the Father. That's pretty cool. This is interesting because the Son is mentioned just one time, but he's the centerpiece of the story. You know, it'd be like if I was like, hey man, I want you all to come to celebrate Ryder's birthday. It's his birthday and like, let's make it the best birthday ever. Great. That's the last time I mentioned Ryder as I'm planning. It's like an assumption that you know that he's the centerpiece because it's his celebration. This could be one of those storytellers reticence because like he's the centerpiece of the story, but he's the one telling the story. We've all had those moments. We can't be sure why Jesus maybe even pulls his punch here. But maybe for him, he was interested in highlighting the other characters in the story more than himself. But let's not overlook that he is the centerpiece. He is the, the, the middle, the most important part, the son, Jesus, of the story. 1 Corinthians 1.23, the apostle Paul writes in these beautiful, simple words, but we preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. That's what we preach, Jesus. That the son is the sent one, the Messiah, the Savior, the atoner of sins, the one who hung on a cross for you and I for our decisions and ignorance that would drive us away from God, that Jesus, the son in this story, is the one who is being celebrated. Next, the servants. So you've got the father expressing his desire, the son that is celebrated, and you've got the servants, their job is to bring the guests. The servants bring the guests. In relation to the guests, there are two in this story, inactive members of the story, the father and the son. They're inactive in regards to the guests. 
The most active people in regards to the guests are the servants. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5 says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Oh, maybe what I'm preaching is starting to make sense. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That our invitation to what God is doing is crucial. Our role in his story is crucial. A 19th century Sunday school teacher led a young man to Christ. His name, well, he was a Boston shoe salesman. His name was Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody would impact the world with revivals that would start in North Carolina and have great moves of God. And one of those revivals, a young man named Billy Graham made a first-time decision to follow Jesus. Billy Graham would go on to be the most revered and impacting and influential evangelists in American history and, and in all of human history. A Sunday school teacher shared faith with a shoe salesman who started revivals. He saw Billy Graham saved. Um, I'm here because of a neighbor, a next door neighbor. You have a neighbor, we have neighbors, front, back, and side, direct neighbors across the street. I'm here today preaching to you because of the faith and the boldness, the compelling nature of a neighbor. My mom knows Jesus because of a neighbor. Nadia because of her brother. Pastors of a church at Celebration Edmonton that I was preaching at a few weeks back are saved because of people who ran a campus crusade ministry. They then started their own and birthed their church. As the servants, we have a crucial role in emphasizing that Jesus is central to the parable, but our job is to bring the guests to the banquet. And he was emphasizing the role of the servant in this parable. And lastly, maybe Brother Chris is the keys, come and join me. How good would it be if we had a live keys player? I could just see Isaac Hunter back here on his uh, white, uh, he's got this um, stand-up piano, his white, really nice look, you know, and he just do his thing, but maybe we could even um, clip art him in, <laughs> but no, no this, is a, this is a crucial moment in the sermon. The last one is this, the last group of people, the last character in the parable are the, are the guests. The guests, if you're taking notes, the guests respond to the servants. The guests respond to the servants. In other words, the invitation came from the Father. Yeah, we get that. But they only see the servants. In other words, if you write an invitation and you put it in a card and put it in, a, in, a, in, a, like in the mailbox, the person receiving the invitation only sees the mailman. The mailman on my street's awesome. Like the, mail, the mailmen and bus drivers in this country do not take a day off. These guys are no days off. And the mailman, he's awesome. You and I are the mailman of the invitation from the Father. The servants play a crucial role and the guests respond to the servants. I remember walking with someone who was a, um, a great Christian leader, someone that I had um, looked up to for many years. We were in a grocery store one day and started sharing his faith and sharing about Jesus with someone. And I was like, man, that's really cool, bro. And he's like, dude, like, I'll be the only Bible this guy might ever read. And I was like, wow, that's, that's brilliant. That's excellent. Like with your life, preach the gospel, you know, with words if necessary. Uh, as my mum used to say, let your actions speak louder than your words. Philippians 1, 27 and 30 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Man, Matthew 5 
14 through 16, I'll jump right to the end, which I think is in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine in front of people. Don't shy away. Don't let your brilliance and your charisma and your charm and your talent and your kindness and, and your authenticity hide. Don't hide it under a bushel. No, let it shine in front of people so that they can see it. The guests didn't meet the father until they arrived at the wedding. Until then, all they had to go by was the relationship that they had with the servants. Just let that sink in for a minute. My mum is in her 60s. Don't tell anyone about that. She's much younger than that. But she's in her 60s. She became a believer two years ago. I have been her son all my life. I'm 37. She became a Christian two years ago. I became a Christian when I was 12. Do some quick maths. I've been a Christian for 25 years. 25 minus 2 is 23. That means that for 23 years, my testimony was a testimony to her about the father as a servant to an invited guest. And my life was a testimony to her for 23 years. I mean, her, before she created her own revelation, or uh, she didn't create her own revelation before, but she had a personal revelation of Jesus revealed to her from the Father. Her concept and understanding of God and of Jesus came from me. I'm surprised she decided to walk with Jesus in the first place. What a privilege it is to be an ambassador, a representative, a servant of the Father. Let's be people today who are compelling Christians that live a life that's desperate and urgent for those invited guests who are not yet a part of the wedding banquet of a lifetime. That I want people to be there because of the influence and impact that I had on their lives to be in the room. That the kingdom of heaven is like a father that expressed his desire, a son that is celebrated, servants who have a relationship with the guests and the guests that are compelled to come and experience God, experience Jesus, experience family, relationships because of the compelling nature of the servants. If you're here today watching on the online campus, came with a friend, just thought you'd just like, you know, we're, we're into September now, kind of school started, life kind of starts back again, summer's sort of wrapping up and you wanted to make a decision or get your life straight again. I, I met a few people recently, they're like, dude, I want to get my life right with Jesus. I want to read my Bible. It's just like, yes, 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 yes. And maybe you're here and you're saying, that's me, I need Jesus. Like I'm away from him. Then I would love to compel you to come to the wedding banquet, compel you that there is a God, a father, who celebrates his son who loves you so much and that Jesus died on the cross, paid the ultimate price of death to pay the price for your sin and my sin so that we can attend the banquet, so that we can be in heaven, so that we can live this life and journey and grow in relationship with God. And so friend, if that's you and you're saying, I need Jesus, I'm not right with God, then I would love to pray with you today. So would you mind just in your own privacy, just pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Love you so much. I'll see you next week for part two of Compelling Christianity. I'll see you later. We are so glad you joined us for the Local Church Podcast. To get connected, please follow us on social media and check out our website for groups and other ways to get involved.